Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the shift with Tez and Katie. Two generations, two points of view coming at you. It's the shift. Stand by. So we're recording. Okay, great. So, hello, everybody. Welcome to the shift. We're starting in a rush here because we have comedian Frankie French on the show. And uh, we, we, we've stopped her talking anymore because we've just found out that she's got 25% Irish genetics and we wanted to get into that. Because before we talk about serious issues around race, the Irish absolutely love conversations about how anything relates back to Ireland. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's funny because like my my background's weird. My mom abandoned me. My, my grandmother raised me and my father kidnapped my sister. And so I didn't meet one of my sisters until she was like eight. I know it's bananas. <laughs> so much, so much for the light. <laughs> so much for the, the lighthearted start. <laughs> so my, I have six sisters and two brothers, and my sibling, my father's kids, didn't believe that I was really like their sibling. So my sister kind of like, in this really sneaky way, got me to take this DNA test. And yes, he's my dad, you know, he is the father. But in doing that, you know, they tell you like what percentage of all these other ethnicities you are. And I'm 25% Irish. So oh. I know we always, I mean, French, Fr- French is actually, there's a lot of Frenches in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if there's, I don't know if your 25% is connected to your last name or anything. It's not, I'm actually married and my real last name is Shannon. So there you go. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. I know. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like history. The, like the history of, of, of black people and their last names is actually pretty fascinating. Yes. And terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, well, I uh, guess terrifying is probably the, is probably the better word, but I guess it's, it's, it's worrying, but I never got to the bottom of the connection with why there are so many Irish last names amongst the African-American community. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I should have, I should have researched that, but that's neither here nor there. I didn't think we'd be chatting about this. Well, I, I also thought as well with first names, because um, when a lot of Irish were sent over to be like indirected servants, um, then uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, weren't they hanging around with a lot of black people? So then they start black people t- like the name Tyrone. So that's where, where Tyrone is a, co- is a county in Ireland. So that's sure how, yeah. So that's how, and that's the link with Guinness and, um, 
and Jameson as well because uh, every well this is what my dad told me so it's not like a historic no no there's a lot there, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, a lot of Irish history in terms of the a- African Americans and the early part of the slave trade because the Irish were I guess I guess the Irish were considered somewhat in between you know the British aristocracy and slaves there was this sort of the the Irish had a lower status but so they kind of apparently had better relationships with African Americans and there was a lot of like cultural cross between those communities but I cannot speak with any authority about yeah. the positives and negatives of that cultural transformation this feels legit I, I think this is all like legit historically documented I'm digging it so wait a minute so the Irish were lower than black people no, 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 no. no. I was they were a step higher. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. no you there still was, got it worse. You still got it worse. <laughs> well, there was a lot of there was a lot of indentured servitude. You know, some people yeah. some people mistake that when they make these arguments about that there were white slaves, they kind of they 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 take it to a place that's quite problematic. But there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of documented history about indentured servitude, which is essentially like we'll pay for your trip if you work it off over a period of time and right, then, and then right. you're free, you know, which is very different to the uh, the non-consensual African experience. Right, which is now called sex trafficking. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, my understanding is that there was actually, particularly like in the Caribbean, there was a lot of um, stro- positive interactions between the Irish and the African-Americans. And also, I believe there was a lot of uh, positive interactions with the Irish missions, like Irish Catholic missions uh, in, in the Caribbean, which is why there's a lot of like Irish... Uh, language influence on Caribbean slang and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you really, I, yeah, it, and, and that's pretty well documented. It's just every now and then I, I breeze through it and I always forget how to speak about it with confidence, but it is there anyway. Well, it, it's hard because there was a, uh, there is a Irish historian named Hogan who says some of the stuff doesn't have a lot of fact to it. Some of the books that were written. So they're still trying to figure out what is the true history because so uh, there, there was a belief that Oliver Cromwell stole Irish women and was trying to uh, breed them with his with his slaves. But then Liam Hogan was like, "We're not sure if that's actual fact or." So it kind of gets lost on whether what's real and. Well, we'll do that another time, Frankie. We'll give you homework, and all three of us will come back. Completely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, you don't understand. I'm such a weirdo when I when I hear like a conversation like this, and I'm interested and engaged in it. I literally, after this, I'm going to start researching it. Oh, you know it. Because I'm a psycho. Oh, I know that email I sent you guys yesterday was like a serial <laughs> killer's workshop. It, it was- no, no, but I mean, I want to talk about that, but we don't need to get into the specifics of that, specifics? particularly other than how it relates to, yeah. I I just wanted to talk to you about, you know, being being a, a African-American comedian, I just guess at this time where white people are trying to understand the African-American experience better and how to be better. I just thought, why not talk to you about that? And now you've had this, you've had this explosive interaction, which is a good way to get into it. But I also want to speak generally just about perhaps, well, negative experiences that you've had times where you could tell that white people were misunderstanding, you know, essentially just informing us and just having a conversation about race within the comedy industry as you've experienced it. Sure. I mean, you know, for the the most part, my experiences have been positive in comedy. You know what I mean? But then again, that's also because I think a lot of who I am as a person and, and what I allow, you know what I mean? And, and I just, I've made choices kind of along my path to not work with certain people, not work at certain places. 
um, you know, to ensure my safety and, and ensure my peace. Um, and I think that as, you know, our, our white counterparts and allies are working to learn, what you're doing is great. You know, listen, listening is important, right? And learning and then working to do better and understanding. Um, you know, and, and the, my issue, I don't take issue with the comedy clubs. I want to be very, very clear about that. I don't, you know, hate any of the clubs. I don't have any issues. I'm not seeking to exact vengeance. I just think that we're in a very unique time in history where people have stopped and they're willing to listen, you know? And so why not in this moment work towards better in every area? And the area that affects me directly the most is comedy. You know, I have some some medical stuff going on. Um, well, I, I guess I can say it now. I, I, I was pregnant and I miscarried. Oh, so, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry. I am, too, I am too. I'm actively miscarrying right now, if anyone cares. But, um, you know, so. It's, it's not it's funny, not, but it just it's such a weird. It's, oh, sorry. It's, it's not funny, you, but. Do you mind doing a podcast while you're miscarrying? Is that okay? <laughs> well, no, no one knows, you know, and I, I mean, nobody knows except for, you know, the people in my house, but. So that's why I haven't been physically out protesting is because I was trying to keep my baby inside. Um, oh, yeah, but I'm just, sorry to hear that, Frankie. Yeah, yeah but it, you know, it's stress. I've been in crazy stressed out. I haven't slept in weeks. Like literally I don't sleep. I don't eat. I've been losing like a pound to two pounds a day, you know, just from stress of watching what's going on. So I can't even imagine what people who are out walking every day and protesting every day, I can't even imagine what they're going through. You know, that it's got to be be horrific, you know, so that's why, you know, my position has been I just kind of was looking around online and seeing who's supporting what where, you know, where are my friends at? What's what's going on in my my little tiny piece of the world? And I noticed that literally with the exception of Comedy Loft uh, and I won't mention any other names, but there were no clubs that were speaking out when, you know, I feel like, again, this is a moment in history where everyone's watching and listening and these places have these enormous platforms where thousands of people are watching. And, you know, you have an opportunity to inform your audience. You have an opportunity to leverage that platform you've been working to build for however many years to be a part of this history that's so important for all of us to be at more peace, to have more opportunities for everyone. Think about entertainment and what it just looks like in general. You know, we go back 10, 15 years, 20 years at the shows we were watching. They're very white. You know what I mean? And I look at the things that I love, like Friends and Seinfeld. I love those shows. Have I watched every episode? Yeah. Over and over. The Office. Do you have any idea how many times I've watched The, the Office from season one, episode one, all the way to the end? It's literally my bedtime story. But when I go back and when I think of it with, you know, my now better informed eyes, I'm like, wow, you know, there really is no representation. We have stories that are important to share. And in sharing those, those stories, it does build a bridge and it builds a gap and it makes us closer. So why not require and demand that from the places that we work in the immediate? And uh, yeah, I want to stay on that. But can, we, can you remind me at some stage that I do want to talk to you a bit about uh, the, the fact that there, there's always been almost like a segregation within entertainment in that like this yeah. is a black comedy, therefore it's all right. black people. So I, l let's park that for a sec. I just I want to stay in the comedy clubs. So what when you when you went looking around and you saw that people weren't sharing stuff, what what did you think was the the best course of action? Um, what was the best course? No, of for action? you. Like I mean, in terms of like what happened, what you know. Yeah. So I just I just made a po a post, kind of posing a question, saying, "Hey, 
comics, you know, this is this is what I see. I know we're because another thing I noticed is that all of us are holding our white friends, our non-black friends, to the standard of why aren't you posting? Why aren't you engaging? Why aren't you out marching? Which I don't disagree with. You know what I mean? If you if we're friends and you love me or we're family and you love me, then love my life and want me and and the people that look like me to be able to step outside and survive. So you absolutely should be informing the people that you know. You should be talking to your racist counterparts or friends if you have them and informing them as well as you're learning too. So if we're going to, going to hold, if I'm going to hold my friend Susie from high school to the standard that literally has 250 Facebook friends, then why am I going to expect the same from the comedy club that I work for that has 10,000 people looking at their page that can actually inform people and, and make an impact? So I made a post, um, you know, and, and, I, and I knew that it would be controversial I knew that it would make people uncomfortable. And that's part of the problem is that the comedy clubs, we have allowed them to hold a lot of power over the things that we think, over the way that we feel. And we're quiet about a lot. And we kind of sit back and watch things happen and don't say anything because we don't want to get blackballed. We want to get booked. We want to work. And it's dangerous. It's always this fear, you know, to speak out and say anything when you see and slights or you see things that are wrong. Um, You know, it, it happened with, um, uh, uh, sexual harassment was kind of the first big explosion in the world of entertainment. And then people started kind of coming forward and saying, yes, this has happened to me. Um, and it's the same thing with racism. I literally, I, I just, uh, you know, won the NBC, the Stand Up for NBC competition that they hold every year. And we were at NACA this year and there was a club owner there who was talking to one of the young ladies who's very funny, extremely talented, young white girl. And um, she books her for a show because we're all kind of doing this tour together. And while we're in town, she books her for a show right there on the spot. And then the young girl says, oh, this is Frankie. She's actually the winner of the competition. And she's like, yes, send me a tape. You know what I mean? Get out, really? I swear to God. I swear to God. So what's the difference there? Like, explain that to me. You've seen neither of us perform. I literally won the whole enchilada over thousands of comedians, but you're, you've immediately booked this young lady. And literally, we've had the same amount of conversation. Funnier, she and I actually had more conversation because I had met her earlier and we had talked for like 20 minutes, not for nothing. I didn't even know who she was. We just chatted. And then she came by the booth where we were and that happened. So that's just a blatant instance, you know, kind of in the immediate, like what? That makes, there. you can't explain that to make any sense. So you put the, you put the comedy clubs on the spot, which, you know, I mean, I think I'll, a comedy club could just respond and say, you know what? I hadn't figured out what I wanted to say yet. And I'm glad you put me on the spot because now I'm going to do something. But that's not what happened, right? Bing, bang, boom. It's one um, venue that I love and I work with a lot in D.C., they actually did it. The CEO immediately emailed me and said exactly that. Thank you for you know pointing it out. We've been trying to figure out what to say. I've sent your post. Um, I put, put, uh, printed it as a memo. I've sent it to our board of directors, and we're looking at it, and we're figuring out how to make a statement. Um, I followed up that post with a live video, um, and they, in turn, saw the video, reposted the video, the same venue, and you know made a very clear statement about it. And, and a statement is literally the least that you can do. It's, the, it's a nothing thing. But what it does say is that this is my position. This is where I stand. I appreciate and respect the talent that I work with, the Black people that I employ, the patrons that come into my establishment. You are safe here. 
I have your back. It's a, it's an easy, nothing thing to do. We all the time. And one of the other things is kind of the flip side of that. When the pandemic hit, none of us are working. Literally every opportunity that I had went bye-bye. And so I haven't worked or made really any money worth speaking of since March, right? Which is, you know, it's not a complaint. It's just kind of a thing that is. But even in that moment when, when different clubs asked comics to come and volunteer their time to do shows, to raise money for their venue and for their employees, everyone said, you know what? I get it. We all need help. Let's do it. But now you cannot in turn do the same for your, 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 uh, your black community, which, you know, I just find gross. So, so you had pushback then from other clubs or, or, or actually it all, I mean, we don't have to get into the controversy, but it all got a bit typical online sort of. Yeah. I mean, which wasn't my intention. You know what I mean? That, again, that wasn't my intention. I don't, I, you can go through my internet history. I don't do online beefs, so to speak. That's just never been a thing that I do. If I have an issue with someone, we can either talk over the phone, we can talk in person. I don't even do text arguments. It's just, no. Um, So that said, this was really a a question that I had for my comedy community. What are, when everything is shut down, right? So when we reopen the world and comedy comes back in in whatever form that's going to be, what are we going to be? We have an opportunity to be better. So are we going to be better? Or are we going to go back to the same, you know, power plays and just bullshit that we've been going, going through and dealing with for years? It's awful. There's people that sit in these positions, these little pockets of power, and just hold on to that, and they don't share it with other people. It's unnecessary. You can ask any comedian, especially any, non, uh, any Black women or, or, or women of color in, in the D.C. area, I give away opportunities freely. Because if I can't do it, why am I going to hold on to it? For what? Mm -hmm. Does that help me? And it makes our scene better if everybody's working. So I've given away opportunities to be on TV before I had ever been on TV. I've given away writing opportunities, things that I just didn't, for whatever reason, couldn't do. So I don't understand why we have, have, have situations like that. Like there are two main players in the DC scene. And any big opportunity, like with Comedy Central or MTV or anything like that, it only comes through those two avenues. So that means the only people informing those two decisions are one crotchety white dude and one crotchety white lady who aren't really immersing themselves in the scene or the or any experience beyond what they see in the immediate and what they can relate to. So people that are extremely talented would actually kill those opportunities, have been pushed to the side, and and people who probably aren't quite ready are being pushed to the forefront. Um, and most of the time it's young, white, pretty men or women, you know, in a very specific demographic. You haven't and, seen any change in that in the last couple of years? No, I mean, I've no, not in DC, not within the scene. Have people from DC gotten things? Yes, because they went outside of the scene. Right, Perfect right, example right. of that. We have a, a festival every year. Um, Tignataro's festival comes to DC every year. Um, oh God, Benson Ball. Fantastic festival. And uh, they, the, the, there's a, a company in D.C. that kind of informs that festival, right? And they don't really put very many local comics on it, but whatever, who cares? I was blessed enough to get on that festival this year, but it was only because of the relationships I have in New York. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's like the D.C. scene is very insulated and not being informed outside of what... I mean, it is a, it is a, it is a common problem when you have a sort of a smaller... 
a smaller scene that you end up with these. What's the word? What's the word when you have like one or oh, two gatekeeper? Sort of, yeah, one, yeah, when you have a, a yeah. one or two gatekeepers. Yeah, they end up with 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 too much power. Yeah, but this is a disruption moment. But it right. I mean, it is as much about them changing as it, at what would you think? Because obviously, you you're you're going to do that. You're going to challenge them, right? You're going to take the fight to them. But what do you think? What else can be done? What would you be thinking? What else could be done in terms of trying to actually make the scene uh, not just more inclusive, not just more diverse, but also more dynamic in terms of uh, more gatekeepers? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually um, started meeting larger and larger groups of comics producers, having these collective meetings to have those conversations. So this isn't just, you know, hey, I'm Frank and I'm going to... Yeah, and I'm going to make this post, and I'm going to shake things up. It's 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 become bigger than that, and we are working to 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 create a DC comedy collective <clears throat> where we have a large group of people that are not even just comedians, but some people. We uh, one of the people that are kind of on our current panel works a lot with DC government. We have people that work a lot with media, so having those people involved too. This isn't again. I want to be very clear. This isn't about drama. This isn't about saying, hey, when we open up, don't go to these comedy clubs. Go to them. They have great comics. That's not the issue. The issue is that we can do things better. Race- it's about moving forward. It's about mm-hmm. moving forward and moving forward in a better, more positive way. We don't- what kind of stuff is coming up in the meetings? Um, so one of the, main thing, one of the main things coming up is the fact that typically in any club, there's just one dude, woman, whoever it is, one person deciding who's going to get on these stages. And a lot of these stages, especially at the major comedy clubs, inform the entertainment industry at a higher level. So that's why you see things funneling up that are not very diverse. So one of the things we have been talking about is having a more diverse panel, um, deciding that, deciding that, watching the videos. You know, you can you could pull more than just a, a one person. You could have a black guy, a white guy, an Asian guy, you know, male or female. I'm just using the word guy um, in terms of person, but having more so of a panel. I know Laughing Skull last year, there was a big blow up and a big issue because they didn't have um, out of, I think, a thousand submissions. They picked 60 comics. It's based in Atlanta and there were no black women in the, the, the festival. And so it was a huge blow up. They ended up having a town hall, which was the right thing to do. And that's what we're asking for now. We should have a town hall meeting with all of the venues and all of the clubs that we work with to talk about how to move forward in a positive way. The fact that you just are ignoring a global movement, this is now a global issue. Yes. You know, so the fact that you're just, you are privileged enough to just ignore it and continue to post about your virtual shows speaks volumes to me about how, how concerned you are with what's going on in the world in front of you. You can just kind of click off the lights and go back to watching, you know, reruns of whatever. And it's interesting that, that this is going on in DC, which is like, I mean, in my opinion, the king of comedy. Is, you think is, so? Is Dave Chappelle, and uh, he—he's from the DC scene. How could oh, they yeah. not? How could they not be thinking like we got to keep going back to the well of this community when right. literally one of the best has he, come out of it? Yeah, he's the absolute. He's my my comedy Jesus. Like I, yeah. I, I have so, a great so it seems and it seems it seems actually a bad business decision to me to. Oh, I also, as well, I've never, I haven't been to D.C. for comedy, but in my head as a foreigner, I would always think, oh, D.C. must be progressive. So it's interesting it's to hear black, this. It's a very black city. 
Yeah, so I'm so I'm surprised. I'm like I'm I'm like oh my god, this is it's great to hear your perspective uh, being a comedian there because like obviously I you know I'm in New York, so New York is very. I love New York. That's my favorite place to do comedy. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the- would you think there's a difference? Because I have to say, I, I when I was hearing you say that about DC, I was thinking, wow. My perception right now is that there's at least efforts being made. I'm not I'm not a black man or woman, so I I can't see it from that perspective. But from my outsider's white guy perspective, I feel like there has at least been efforts made. I don't know what your feeling is on that. As of late or? or- I, I, as of late. As, you know, I, I think partially post me too, you know, po- essentially a world where people have suddenly become more aware of the perception of diversity on lineups and in entertainment. I think that, here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. I think that since I have spoken out, Every comic in the local scene has either DM'd, texted me, called me to say thank you for saying it because we've all wanted to say it, but we were too scared to. So that's that's what I think. I, this isn't, you know, just my perspective, yes. point of view. Um, it's just something that I've noticed. And, and, th- and what I did was very cowardly. When I saw this happening, instead of saying anything, I started just going to New York. And having better experiences, getting oh, so on. You the- do have better experiences in New York. Hands down, absolutely. Oh, I, yeah, have- yeah. I was just, I was just curious. That's why. That's why I was asking you: Is do you see a difference when you go to New York? Because oh, when I go to New York, oh my yeah, god. That's, that, yeah. that, 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 sorry, that was my question. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. I was I wondering because that's what I was saying. My perception was in New York there seems to be at least efforts being made. So I was curious oh. if you had noticed the difference. Leaps and it, it's a one eighty, completely different world, totally oh, right, okay. different world. You know, there's this weird thing in D.C. If you're not kissing the appropriate ring, then people try to talk to you a a certain way and treat you a certain way. When I go to New York, it's all love from everybody. You know what I mean? I was hanging out with another comic friend of mine, and she was on the phone with Michael Shea, who's a friend of hers, and it was his birthday. And she's like, uh, he's inviting her to her birthday, his birthday party. And he's like, she's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm with Frankie. I don't, I don't think you know her. And he's like, oh no, that's fine. You know, bring, bring, you can bring her. You know what I mean? It's just all love. And and we had a great time. You know, we sat and chatted it up. He made this incredibly amazing spread and it was just a great evening. And I, no one made me feel less than when I am like a blip on a screen of an ant's butthole compared to the people that were there. You know what I mean? And I felt welcomed and that would never happen even at an open mic with people that are at my level would never happen. People are very segregated. They, oh, the it's like walking into a high school cafeteria and you're a nerd with glasses on when you go to an open mic. And, and it shouldn't be like that. We're all doing the same thing. We're all doing the same thing. But you're feeling pretty good now in terms of, the, I, I don't, I'm not saying you're feeling optimistic about change is going to happen, but you're feeling pretty good that some action is being taken, right? Absolutely. We're taking action. We're, we're actively taking action to create our one, create our own spaces. Um, and, and two, to invite the clubs to work with us. You know what I mean? Because this isn't, and, and I, and I get it. It's very difficult to look, to look within yourself and say, you know what? I fucked up. I didn't, I didn't do that right. I didn't do that. Okay. I could do better. That's a hard conversation to have with yourself. And I get that. I can forgive that. You know, and not, you, and not you give not, people you you give people a bit of space for their defensiveness. I mean, of course, I get it. One hundred percent. I've been defensive. I am the defensive queen. I'm married. Please, <laughs> I'm constantly on offense. What the fuck? What did you say? You know, I'm always got got an argument I want to win with my husband, and there are many times where he will present his argument, and I have no choice to say 
okay, you know what? I am wrong. I'm wrong. And I need to think about this for a minute. And Fuck. <laughs> worst fucking feeling ever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's this the one worst. time, motherfucker. I'll give you this one time. But you always, you always find, though, when you get defensive, you're like, oh, because you know that they're probably right. <laughs> you know that they're right. Yeah, because you know that they're right. So I get it. And 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 I'm giving everyone a, a moment to breathe and be angry at me and be, you know, and you can hate me at the end. I really don't care. Never book me again. I really don't care. And I know that sounds like a very counterproductive for a co- thing for a comic to say, but I have enough confidence in who I am and my ability and the people that I do love that love me back. I'll still work somewhere. You know, I've gotten more into writing. So maybe that something will happen there, whatever. That doesn't matter. The bigger issue is I would love nothing more than to create a space where people can really be creative. Other alternate different voices are being heard, cultivated, being groomed and grown. We don't do that anymore. What happened to mentorships and helping people learn how to build, yeah. build their voices and come out with their own sounds and things like that? We don't do that. We're just I, like, figure it out, kid. Yeah. And, yeah. and I will say, just look from running a show for five years in New York City, mm-hmm. the only comics who have ever asked me to do the show have been uh, white men. I always get white men asking me to do the show. And usually the ones who do ask me are bad at comedy. And the people who perform best are usually the people who don't ask me and are comedians of color. (laughs) They're always killers. And I'm always like, shit, you should be asking for spots. Yeah, but we don't. I know. And you can see it. Because there was a time in all of our careers when we did and we didn't get responded to. So what we did, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, what I did was I was working actually a full-time corporate gig. I would go to work, I would get off work, make dinner for my family, and then I would go out literally seven nights a week, and I would get on three, anywhere from three to five stages every single night for two years straight. That's all I would do until people started saying, oh shit, Frankie's funny. And that's how I started getting booked was just from other comics saying that I was funny. And, you know, you should book yeah. this person. Oh, well, that's the same. Like, I would, I've never asked either, but I, I don't know if that's like an immigrant attitude. And when I first came over, uh, a lot of the comics who were very good to me weren't white comics. Now, I have a lot of nice friends, but I just happened that that was in the group I was hanging around with. Um, and it was a lot of immigrant comics as well. But yeah, I would never, I would never have thought to ask. I would have been the same as you, like, oh, I'll just get funny. But it is, it's just something I've noticed over the five years that I will get multiple. And I've had messages from white, comics who will message me again if I don't respond uh, American and so it's just it was just something that stuck with me that I was like there's actual funny comics who would never would never ask and I've never had a comic who is not white ask me to be on a show in five years that's bananas but I also want to say white comics aren't necessarily bad that's, that's- no 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 but damn right they're not fucking bad bitch yeah yeah this isn't especially white comics that were influenced by the black comedy of the 80s and 90s man yeah but this I'm, isn't I'm, me i'm appropriating your motherfucking culture all day <laughs> shut up this isn't me saying um uh why? Because obviously I'm white, but I'm saying that it just happens to be that the bad yeah. comics who ask are also happen to be like white male open micers who are deluded. Well, that's, that just <laughs> well, they're the also the largest amount of people right now. You know, yeah, that, all, yeah. that also needs to change. You know, yeah, and that that speaks to a lot to entitlement too. They feel like they should be because what they are seeing is just that. Straight, yeah, yeah, but everybody in that sense, everyone should feel entitled in that you shouldn't be discouraging people to be pushy. What you need to right. what you need to get into yes. other people's heads is that you're worth a second yes. and third 
request. And that's what I no, and that's what I'm saying as well. Yeah, because even Irish comics, when they're like coming over here and I run a show, uh, they wouldn't even ask to be on the show. And then when I hear they're come o- coming over, I'm like, oh, you should do the show. And they're like, oh yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to bother you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're also getting into just human behavior there. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this: You're starting these. Uh, oh, sorry, you you want to say you no, more ahead. spaces? No, more spaces run by people. So this is the thing I was mentioning earlier. How healthy or unhealthy do you feel is it in terms of like a black comedy scene? Like, I because I, I, I think there's certain aspects of it being healthy where you go like, this is a black comedy night because it's just certain cultural stuff that's going to resonate with that audience. So how much of that do you like? How much of that would you prefer to see more integration? When you say you're starting these spaces, are you hoping to not just make them like a black night? Are you trying to just have more black people or certainly more open to diversity people running shows? The latter. I mean, I I don't really see how productive it is to have a black night or a woman night or this Mm -hmm. night that continues to just perpetuate stereotypes. That's really all in my opinion, my very humble opinion. I think that those nights just need to be another night of comedy. You know what I mean? And and everyone should come, you know, we we're not, I don't think, and here's, here's the even funnier thing about black nights. When I perform on an all black comedy show, all of the other black comics will pull me to the side and they'll go, Frankie, are you, are you okay? Are, are you good for the show? Because they're worried about the way that I present. I don't present in a like traditional, stereotypical black comedian. And so they're always very, are you? Oh, you're not going to be like robust and boisterous enough for this, keep the crowd's attention? Is that their feeling? That, I mean, that I'm not black enough. You know, it's all of those things. You know what I mean? I'm a fucking weirdo. And I, you know, I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses. That's my goddamn jam. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, so I, I'm, I grew up with Metallica. Like that's who I am on the, on the inside. If you could hear my inside voice, it's constantly, you know, singing stairway to heaven. But you know, I, what I, when I was told early on in my comedy career that I couldn't perform, Frankie, you're just a mainstream comic. You can't perform in black rooms. I was pissed. I was like, what? You're going to tell me I can't perform in front of my people. Are you a lunatic? So then and I started going and doing only black rooms. And that's, those are the only rooms I'm going to do now. Fuck you. And then I learned how to kill in those, room, those rooms. And it wasn't because I wasn't black enough. <clears throat> it's a different cadence. It's a different feeling. It's a different vibe. And you have to learn how to, it's just learning how to ride a different wave. You know what I mean? There it's is the, also, don't you feel sometimes that there's an element of maybe even like underestimating the audience in that regard sometimes 100%. too? 100%. Absolutely. People assume black audiences want slapsticky bullshit that mm. they're not educated and informed enough to get a political joke or to get a, you know, a joke wrapped in an enigma trapped in a question. They, they, they assume that. And so they, they go for this low hanging fruit. I'm going to give you what I got. You know, you're going to get what I got. I treat my audiences, black, white, Puerto Rican, other, I treat my audiences like hungry children. You're going to eat what I cooked. If you don't eat it, you're not hungry. And I'm going to lean into that until you left. <laughs> And I guarantee I'm going to make you laugh. I can pretty much at this point guarantee, well, maybe not now because I haven't been on the stage and God only knows how long, but uh, in the very first um, virtual show I did, that they had everyone muted, but the people were heckling me in the comments. That's how awful I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, think, I also think it's cool that there are some jokes that just work better within a community in that like, I know for me, when I go back to Ireland, this is not a direct comparison, but 
I do enjoy an indulgence in shit that only Irish people will get. And I would only assume when you go to like an all black room that it is nice to indulge in one or two things that perhaps only people that were raised in an African-American household would understand. Of course. I mean, that's like, it's like a secret among friends, you know what I mean? And, you know, and it's really fun. And then you get that opportunity for the one or two white people to turn to them and kind of explain it. And it adds another layer of hilarity to it. You know what I mean? So yeah, of course that's fun. But the, the point of what I'm saying is that we don't have to be separate, but equal. We can all be mixed up together and still just have comedy. My, my dream would be throw a show and put whoever's fucking funny on the show. Yeah. That's it. Don't, well, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just when I came over first, um, one of the first people to, to be booking me, um, afterwards then a few months later I was doing his show a lot and then afterwards comics were like oh I can't believe you've been doing a black room the whole time but sure I had no idea and I was just having a great time I was like you know this it, but it didn't I'm from Ireland so I had no idea that there was different rooms right, right you didn't care yeah but let me a little a, a, a well-known secret and Des probably can attest to this you will get funnier only doing black rooms it's very hard when you're a non-black comic or not a traditional black comedian it's very difficult to make an all black room laugh because they're like, okay, motherfucker, like, <laughs> make me laugh. You, they are daring you to try to break through that. If you can break through that, you take that same act and you go to a mainstream or whatever you want to call it room, you're going to slaughter that room and bring the mm-hmm. house down. You will get funnier. People that say, oh, I can't believe you're doing a black room. It's because they're afraid to go do those rooms. When in reality, you should go, go do them. Yeah. Well, it's the it's like it's like CrossFit for comics. That's what doing black rooms. Is. Well, I I actually I actually preferred it because I uh, felt like they enjoyed it more. Well, they They're more the expressive. Black audiences are the best. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. And it's, kind, it's kind of like Irish audience as well because Irish audiences nearly are the same. Like, yeah, try to make me laugh, and then when you do, they're like, woohoo! <laughs> right, I dare you. I dare you. White audience or mainstream audiences, they'll give you a nice, a, a polite chuckle. Mm-hmm. You know, just, oh. oh yeah well let's go no you go to get them off the stage (laughs) they're going to make you feel it you're going to i bombed so hard one night in new jersey i (laughs) was that that famous one in new jersey i I hear a lot of the Uh, comics talk about that one what's that one again is bob sumner produces it yeah yes i've heard uh, uh mike mike yard was telling me about that place oh my god This So I drove up, I had every intention of spending the night there because it's late as hell when you leave. I was like, I'm going to drive home. I dro- It took me probably like eight hours to get home because I kept pulling over to cry. Like that's how <laughs> I know, girl, it's hilarious. It made me better and stronger. And the next time I performed for Bob, I brought the entire house down. But you know what I mean? It's those moments that make you stronger as a comic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Godfrey, Godfrey told me about that room too. Oh, I love that guy. Of course he killed. Of course he killed. He's never not killed. That's a motherfucker. <laughs> He's an animal with that mic. He's bananas. Um, but yeah, I love that too. But yeah, you you know, I, and and at the end of the day, like I said, what I really would like, cre- art artistry and creativity should be a welcoming space. Where we are on the fringe of society in a lot of way, a lot a lot of ways, because we don't follow a traditional career trajectory, right? So within that, we should have a com- camaraderie within our communities. Mm-hmm. If you're from out of town and you come to D.C., you should be welcomed with open arms. You should work at all the different spots. We shouldn't have these weird torn off fra- factions and, well, those are the cool kids. Those, that's the nerd table. Those are the hot comics. Who, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. 
who cares? We should all be mixed in together. We're working for the same goal. And the better we all help each other to be, the stronger we are as a community. No, you're so right. And once uh, comics do that, then they'll actually probably be able to get paid quicker as well because right. comics really let themselves be taken advantage of. It's unbelievable. We really, we really, really do. Like the work that, and this is the funny thing, you know, we work for a minimum of three years, probably in a lot of instances, a lot longer before we even start getting paid in comedy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're, you're working for free because you got to go out and you got to put in, you got to go to school. You got to go to your comedy mm-hmm. school for your open mics. Or, you know, after the show, when you're chopping it up with the veteran comics that are that you're lucky enough to have, they're like the Tommy Woods. When he's at a show, and it's so adorable, when these little baby comics are hanging mm-hmm. around, and, and Tony is- he's like, the, he's like the Oracle. He is like the Oracle. Fucking Yoda. They're just waiting. Oh my God, please let Tony just look in my, and then they'll come. I'm like, Did you hear that? T- Tony said I had a good set. And I'm like, look, fucko. Tony didn't hear your set, okay? <laughs> hey, Sean. Well, he's just the nicest. He's yes, just the nicest. and he's just the sweetest, nicest. Uh, he's one of my favorite humans. He, you know, he was at, um, uh, God, what is that place above the cellar? What's the, the restaurant above the oh, cellar? Oh, Olive Tree? Olive Tree. Yeah, I'm in there one night. I don't remember why I was even by myself and just eating a bowl of borscht because that's my jam. That's true, though. <laughs> Frankie, you, there's... A separate podcast we need to make about how bad you want to be white. <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the Guns and Roses, the Metallica, and the Borscht. You know what? <laughs> I, my parents, they, I was raised Caucasian, okay? I was raised in a very, I was the only black kid in my school until like fourth grade. Yeah, nightmare. It was not as cool as it sounds. And, uh, and I'm sitting there eating my borscht and dipping, and dipping my buttered, uh, <laughs> dipping my buttered rye bread into it because it's delicious. And I hear, hey, Frenchie. And I turn around and it's Tony Woods. You know what I mean? And, and everyone's like, oh, she must be cool. You know, so there's this instantaneous welcoming. So we, we should have that. It should be that. Yes. Do you need to like make your bones? Do you need to go through your, your hazing? Of course you do. You're not going to get on a stage day one and start hanging out with the cool kids. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, we should have a more welcoming, engaging environment. We should be able, if there are issues, we should be able to speak up. That should be encouraged. And not to damage people's careers, but so people can learn and be better. We can all, I was a piece of shit for a lot of my life. And I had to admit that to myself and work to be a better human person. So let me just take it out of comedy just for one sec. Yeah, please. Uh, so in the in the bigger picture of this being another crossroads, another sort of tide check in the history of race relations in the United States, did, does this one feel more promising? I know that's kind of the question every time, you know, after Ferguson and Baltimore and then the L.A. riots, 92 and the Washington Heights riots, all these times where it's like we need to have a conversation about race in America. Mm-hmm. Is this one? more of a turning point you feel? I know it's impossible to predict the future, but you've obviously experienced a few. Does this one feel different? Yeah, I'm not a statistician. statistician so I'm not even saying the word right. So yeah, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But, no, but I'm just talking about your own personal experience. Yeah, for sure. What I will say is absolutely. I, I, I think so. Absolutely. And w- one of the biggest things I find very encouraging is that my white friends that I know, they are having these hard conversations with their family members. And you you know that, Katie, you know, yeah. our brother Steven, you know, yeah. is having heart. He made a joke on a show we were doing 
that kind of trickled down into his family and got them talking about their racist beliefs and changing their minds. So this is a one of the rarest moments in history. You know, the, the phrase defund the police sounded like a dream for years. But the governor in California recently is, is said he's doing that. He's, he's slashing their budget by at least half, taking $150 million and funneling it into the, these communities of color. Amazing. Get rid of the police department. You hear people say dismantle the police department. That doesn't even sound like a real thing that could happen. But in, in Minneapolis, they are having that conversation of how they can do that and then implement a new, um, what is it called? Does anyone, um, what is the new, uh, public safety, a new public safety group. You know what I mean? These are things I didn't even think were possible, but in a span of what, 10 days, policies are changing. Things are are happening. Things are are, are actually occurring in real time as people are marching and demanding it. Is this different? Fuck yeah, it's different. The whole, this is the first time in history, all 50 states in some way participated in a protest. All 50 states. That is the hugest. The, that's bonkers. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And the world. The world has been protesting as well. That's what I'm saying. I saw this. Do you um, think, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just, I just have to tell you this post that I saw earlier today. It's my new absolutely favorite thing. It says, um, they over in Britain protesting like, <laughs> block laws <Lord's> matter. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Lord's matter. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Like, we, that's what the world, we need the whole world to stand up and say, hey, mm-hmm. cut it the fuck out. Stop it. And, and how sad is it that a group of people have to stand up and say, hey, you know, it'd be cool. It'd be really cool if you stopped killing us. That'd be nice. You know what I mean? I've been personally attacked by the police. I've experienced police brutality personally. When I was 14 years old, me and my sister were beaten in a mall by two male cops, literally on the ground, kicked and punched. No one gave a shit. You know what I mean? I was later assaulted again by another officer. You know, and so this is uh, this has been happening. This isn't new. This has been happening for decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. Is it different? Absolutely. And I could not be more proud of our country right now. I really. Oh, could. that's great. That's good yeah. to hear that you feel it in that way. I, I'm, I, I, life is life is chance, right? Like it's probably without a pandemic, would it have become this big happened. moment? It's amazing, isn't happened. it? Would not have happened. The I, randomness of life. The random ex- would not have happened. We got all. We all got trapped in the house. We all got tired of sitting, and but we were all watching and paying attention. Yeah, that, that's the key. We were all watching and we're all clamoring for more news and information. And so what happened in the streets? And people were saying, "Wow." The pandemic got us all in the house, but it didn't end racism. That was kind of the first thing that I that I saw. And then it just snowballed and everyone's eyes were on this man's murder. Mm-hmm. His blatant murder in broad daylight while people stood around and watched and filmed it. And the world said collectively, that's a fuck enough. That is it. We've had enough. This is disgusting. And it's and thank you, George Floyd, for giving your life to this. Well, that's mar- it's a true martyrdom. Yeah, and Brianna. I mean, that word is getting a little sullied in the last sort of few decades, but yeah, that's a sure. that's a real martyr. It's yeah. real life and real time. You know, what I mean? real religious. You could get real religious real quick right now because this I mean, guy, he's like sacrificed himself, which he didn't want to. But of course, he didn't want. He cr- when he screamed for his mother, I felt that in my womb. You know, I have a daughter. I have dead. a daughter. She's not even alive. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So there's layers there too. You know what I mean? 
you know, I have a husband who, when he leaves out the house, I literally, I'm afraid until he comes home. And if he's gone to the store longer than I feel like it should take, I get panicked. And I call, hey, I'm just, are you okay? Are you safe? Just let me know. Are you safe? Are you okay? Oh, I got, I was worried that you got stopped by the police or something. He's like, no, I'm okay. I just, the line was long, whatever. But this is, li- and, and no, this is before all of this happened. This is how Black people live all of the time. This is our real everyday life. You know, my daughter was in ta- attacked in school for being gay <clears throat> by a young white boy and he slashed her pants with scissors and no one did anything. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Horrible. You know what I mean? And and this isn't, you know, a, a cry for sympathy. It's just understand that, you know, and we Black people, we hold it in. We keep it in. We don't tell people what's going on with us yeah. every day. Because if we did, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. So we just stuff it down. We lock it away. And then we go on to work. You know, and then we're at work and we're like, hey, Bob, how about that game? You know, and when really inside we're going, ah! You know, mm-hmm. inside constantly so the world is working waking up the world is hearing our cries they're feeling our tears and they're standing up for us and i like i said i cannot be more proud of our country right now i really of the whole world could well, not let's hope the momentum let's hope the momentum continues let's hope that we can get rid of the guy that definitely makes it worse although you know in a in a weird way it it, it might be that donald trump was also the extra bit of seasoning that was required <laughs> for people to yeah. really rise up because people okay. He makes people angry enough. He, yeah. You know, he makes people angry enough that they think, fuck this. Yeah. Now, who's to say whether well, that could be a that could also be a stupid statement? And I'll throw my hands up if it is. But it really was a, a perfect soup of things that allowed this thing to ignite, and maybe the ignition was necessary. And but he also, as well, kind of like uh, nearly okayed the police uh, br- brutality. Like he was like answering, vi- like saying like he'd answer violence with violence or whatever. Dominate so the streets. Yeah. So he <laughs> basically told the police. The looting and then, starts, the shooting starts. It's awful. And then so, but then the, the, now we're getting to see on video so many accounts, even just in the past week of police handling it violently. Um, so it's really opening everybody's eyes. Like, cause even I was talking to my dad, he's a, it's, you can't compare to Ireland. He's a cop, man. He's a he's fucking a- cop. This whole fucking no, I'm kidding. The whole time she's a fucking descendant of the. <laughs> right, right, right. But no, so he's a policeman in Ireland. So um, and if anybody is listening to this, this is they call him Bobby's. There is he a Bobby? No, that's a that's a England. Well, they call they do say we, fuck, they we do got say... those fucking Bobby's out of Ireland. To be honest with you, yeah, because you know, <laughs> Frankie, you know the truth. When you hate white people, really, what you mean is you hate English people. Just so you know. Oh, no, look, I'm, 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 I'm Irish, okay? I got Irish kidney, so. Oh, by the way, I'm joking. Any English people, you know, I, I, I'm 100% joking. It's not fair. You know, everyone has their own story. But I was just, you can't, you can't compare because obviously we don't have a gun culture and stuff, but I was asking, I was like, because obviously we don't use um, rubber bullets. I know they were used in Ireland. Uh, I think we were the, in test- the north. We, we were the testing. They used it first on us, and it killed like. I couldn't believe when I heard about rubber bullets because this was a controversy in I the know. north in the eighties. They killed eight serious? children, eight children with rubber bullets. Oh. Uh, and then they were like, you know what? These are still good. Let's bring them. I read this article called "From Derry to Detroit." Oh, nice! Isn't that insane? And then so this is like going on forever and. Two years ago in France, the riot police still used rubber bullets and they wounded something like 250 people and, and like f- permanently blinded 50 people or something like that. It's crazy. But so I was asked my dad about it, but he was saying like, you know, um, what was so, like what they what like mace 
let's say but like it's insane that you're using like no this isn't his opinion sorry this is my opinion i just asked what do what do we use at home and obviously it's different but he was saying mace but like that's why i don't understand if mace can like put someone down and then they're going to be okay why would you go to rubber bullet why would you go to tear gas if it's I just don't, yeah, I don't, am I being really dumb? <laughs> I'm just like, no, oh. I just uh, we'll get a car. We'll, maybe we'll get somebody to talk about the, the, the various theories around crowd control and all these things. Cause there's loads of practices which are considered to be negative that are still being used like kettling. And, but like, listen, this is actually normally a sex podcast and I have, I've, 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 yeah, you didn't know that Frankie. Why didn't you have me for that? What are you well, we'll have you back. We'll have you back. Oh my god, I'm bi, and me and my husband are in an ethically open relationship. I have so get much- out. Oh, you'll be back on in a couple of weeks. But to be honest, oh. right now we needed to we needed to use you to make it look like we give a shit about the world. So for now, we just needed to get this out of the way, and then we'll have you on to uh, to do that. That's so funny that you said that you're because um, when we were like, oh, because I knew know you have a husband, and here here goes my fucking just automatic. Uh, judgments because you go oh uh you go when we're in ireland i'm gonna get some ireland d and i was like oh she must be joking because she has a husband i didn't realize you're open my husband's standing right there when i was saying that. Ah, yeah, i love no. that yeah. oh we, you could get loads irish d Doy. <laughs> oh well great so listen we'll, we'll we'll have you back on a few weeks then we, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll just talk it. about that if you don't mind you know we love that i'm an open book yeah let's do it let's talk about it thank you guys so much for having me oh, frankie thank you it was a, lo- a thank long you. chat thank you thank you so much yeah you guys were wonderful when oh, does the th- air come out or whatever tonight. tonight oh excellent awesome i'll make sure to share it thank the you the video the video is only on the patreon but the, the podcast will be on tonight oh awesome I'm excited. I'll, I'll send you the links and everything yeah, yeah it's on all apps so you can exit. Myself and Katie will use the uh, the Zoom to finish off the conversation. We're oh, yeah. going to do the intro and exit Thank you. intro. <laughs> I mean. We don't even need to do the intro. Oh, okay. We're just outro right now. Okay. It was such a, it was such a fun beginning. Yeah. Oh, we never got her to do an Irish accent. I kept thinking the oh, whole time. Heck. That's right. Doesn't oh. matter. She's gone. And we'll get her back on. Yeah. So anyway, well done, Katie, for getting Frankie to come on there. Yeah, well, well done you with all the great questions. I really she opened up for me back. in DC, but she didn't remember it a hundred percent. Oh, uh, she told me because I was doing. Well, how she suggested about doing the podcast was I was doing the, the ro- roast of racist America. She asked me to come on and do it, and then another comic said, "Oh, I had a great time on your podcast." And then she was like, "Oh, what podcasts do you do?" And I was like, "Oh, well, I also do one with Des Bishop." And she was like, "I love Des." Oh yeah, I think. But then when she saw me, I think she got confused. She's probably not used to me having like this massive head (laughs) so uh i think she remembered my name more than my face so uh anyway let's let's wrap it up i gotta take the dog for uh for training so don't forget everybody to uh subscribe to the patreon check out the video yeah thanks guys thanks for lovely messages as well um we'll be back next week yes with with a new topic we'll get frankie back on a couple of weeks she was a great guest yes um and uh we'll we'll get back to dirty talk next week okay we just wanted to we just wanted to sort of register this this moment in history the last couple of weeks but we'll we'll get back to dirty dirty talk now next week i think i'll have had sex by the time we have dirty talk next week (laughs) can i have it can i have it (laughs) i think that's fine you can go to ikea in dublin now you can have sex with blurry yeah, everything. Well, everything's open, and ever since the protest, now people are really sort of everybody's. Yeah, well, we'll now. see. We'll see if there's a spike now. You know, yeah. that's a whole other issue. You know, that's like 
We'll see. You know, but uh, anyway, I'm at Des Bishop. At, at Katie Boyle Comic. I'll get back. My Instagram has been a bit quiet lately, but I'll get I'll get back on it. And, yeah, uh, well, that's you know, Aiden, fair enough. I'm busy now. Aiden's over here now and stuff. So, uh, all right, guys, uh, we'll we'll uh, chat next week. Send us any comments, suggestions, DMs, and uh, the usual five stars on iTunes. Leave some reviews. Please. And uh, yeah, that's it. Bye, thanks, Katie. Views. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.